Well, we want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. Man, the irony. The irony in this episode for me is top-notch, like any other episode that we've recorded. Yeah, and I know you know where I'm going with it. I do, I do. I want you to go ahead and, and say it. Go ahead and say it. Yeah, I, if, if you've been a listener, I think we've mentioned this on a couple episodes so far, but we're going to make, this is the trifecta right here, and we're, we're going to go ahead and promote this on the third episode. It is true. When I started seminary, I was on academic probation. That is one of my favorite little <laughs> nuggets about you. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite. I mean, I have gotten so much mileage out of that. That is, oh, it's gold. I can't uh, get enough of it, man. That's yeah. one of my favorites. It's it's <laughs> such a picture of redemption. But yes, <laughs> academic probation from from academic probation to now talking about the church and the academy. What a way you've come, man. What a yeah, way man. you've come. Oh, yeah, man. man. Hey, and not only, this is this is really cool, because not only are we talking about this story of redemption, but I also, <laughs> uh, I have a, a longtime friend who's joining us for this conversation, Dr. Abby Tyler Todd. Dr. Todd. Dr. Todd. That, yes. that sounds so good, man. It sounds weird. I'm still getting used to it. Well, not to be confused with, if we start referring to you as the the doctor, a lot of times we <laughs> talk about Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you know, referring to the doctor. So it may it may just kind of roll off the tongue. So, uh, Dr. Abby Tyler Todd. Abby, man, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. It's yeah. It's been neat to, to watch and listen to y'all. And I knew the email was coming that, that TJ was going to ask. I just didn't know what the topic would be. So uh, I'm I'm excited because there's a lot to say. Well, um, this is the first of hopefully, hopefully several. We'll, you, you do. We always tell guests if you do a good job, we'll come back. So you're okay. this, is, this is your audition. Okay, good. I, I'm glad you added a conditional there. <laughs> no, just kidding. We we're so thankful to have you. Let me let me kind of give a little bit of a background, and I, I want you to introduce yourself. So Abby and I uh, went to the same high school, Apollo High School in Owensboro, Kentucky. You Ooh. graduated what 2004? That's right. Yeah, so a few years ahead of me, so we go way back, and uh, I often tell people that uh, I've kind of followed in your footsteps wherever you've gone. I've just kind of trickled behind you a few years later. <laughs> uh, it's been uh, so you've been you've been such a mentor and, and a great friend of the faith to me, and um, you you got your um, undergrad from UK, uh, MDiv and THM, or MDiv from from Southern MDiv and THM at Southern. Okay, and then just finished your uh, PhD at New Orleans. Is that so, correct? That's right. Okay. What was what was the PhD in? What'd you write on? What what was that like? Uh, it was in theology. Uh, New Orleans, we're not quite as big as you Southwestern folks, so we don't have like systematic theology and historical oh. theology and biblical theology. You know, it's just <laughs> theology. Um, good old plain theology. And I specialized, or I, I wrote my dissertation on Richard Furman, who's a 18th and 19th century Baptist. Uh, most people are familiar with Furman University that was kind of founded out of his legacy. Uh, I, I wrote my dissertation on his doctrine of atonement. Mm -hmm. uh, and so actually, weird story. I tested and interviewed for the history department at New Orleans. This, this kind of goes to a little bit of what we'll be talking about today, I think. Um, and so I was admitted, I think, as a history student. And then the, the history chair called me into his office and said, uh, 
hey, you can go the history route, but I just want you to know you're going to be the only person in the history department at New Orleans. That's right. I remember <laughs> and, you telling uh, me that. I was like, really? Yeah. He goes, well, it's just fine. You can do that. Uh, this guy's a history prof now. <laughs> and he goes, but we're probably not going to throw as many classes your way. It might take you a little longer. And uh, how about you just go history minor and probably be better if, you, if you're looking for a job to go theology anyway. And I left thinking, nah, I'm going to stick with history. And then a couple of days later, I was like, yeah, I'll go theology. Um, and so now I'm a, an adjunct prof at Luther Rice teaching da, 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 theology. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Love it. yeah, the Lord, the Lord definitely worked there. But, uh, so I'm kind of a, a history nerd who, who really, obviously because of our theology, we know that we can't do history without theology and we can't right. do theology properly without knowing it historically. So, um, that's, that's kind of my background. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, okay. You've written on Richard Furman, um, but that's not the only thing that you do. So, Tell us, tell our listeners real briefly here, what else are you doing? Because, uh, and I know you personally, uh, I've kind of, I've keep up with your work, but then you publish at an incredible rate and you are such a, you've been such a gift to those of us who follow along. So what are you writing? What are you, what are you doing? What are your contributions? Where can we, where can we keep up with you? Sure. Um, my, my interests theologically and historically kind of took off with Jonathan Edwards, like yeah, so many of us. Um, I think in a lot of ways, Jonathan Edwards has kind of become the, the unofficial mascot of the reform movement. <laughs> uh, and so I, del- I dove into Edwards and started writing on him and publishing different articles at diff- various journals. And then kind of dove into the Edwardsians and the New Divinity Movement and then kind of dove into Baptists, Edwardsians and and so I've, I've just been published uh, here and there at, at various journals uh, on that and contributed uh, to various books just with chapters uh, on Edwards. I'm sticking to early America. Uh, recently, I've been writing on uh, Baptist politics in the early republic. I'm working on a book on that right now. Uh, I finished two books that are currently with publishers. Uh, one is um, a book on the moral governmental theory of atonement. Uh, a lot of people are, are interested you know, familiar with that. A lot of people aren't. It's a theory of atonement that was a reform doctrine of atonement that flourished in the uh, the 18th and 19th century, and very little, relatively speaking, has been written on it. And so I just kind of wanted to write uh, or try to write the definitive book on that theory of atonement. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody from uh, Edwards, his disciples, uh, Furman, Mercer, Lemuel Haynes, Charles Finney. I mean, you could go down. There's everybody and anyone in American history, really, uh, post-Puritan, uh, was kind of dabbled dabbled in that theory. So that's mm-hmm. with, uh, Whip, Whip and Stock Publishers or, or Cascade Books. And then I'm, I'm in the final stages of publishing uh, a book on the Southern Baptist legacy of Jonathan Edwards uh, with, the, with the Edwards Center at Yale University. Uh, and so that's that's kind of in its final stages. COVID has just thrown a, a loop into that. Uh, but those are some writing projects that I'm that I'm currently working on. Uh, next month, I'm really looking forward. I'm I'm writing an article in the Baptist History and Heritage Journal, um, and it's called the the first Southern Baptist Convention in its moral and theological context. Hmm. Uh, and so I, I really want Southern Baptists to uh, be able to take a hard look at what the first Southern Baptists thought about God and thought about 
anthropology and, and soteriology, those kinds of things. Um, so that's coming out. Um, so I've got, got my hands uh, or got my irons in, in, a, in a few fires. Um, but those are some things I, I, I really, my passion is American religious history. And, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not like, a you know, there's, there's analytic guys, there's systematic guys, there's biblical theology guys. I'm just, I'm just a history guy. Uh, I don't claim to be any more than that. And, uh, I'm sure, you know, this conversation will expose that at, at various times. <laughs> Man, it, it sounds like you aren't busy, so... <laughs> I don't know. You need to pick up the pace on some of this stuff. Well, <clears throat> I'm glad you mentioned that, Lance, because that's that was going to kind of be my next segue. Uh, if you're interested in keeping up with Abby, he he's on Facebook, he's on Instagram and Twitter at at Toby at Abby Tyler Todd. Gosh, like, mouthful there. Uh, and he also, Abby, you also have a, a blog uh, on the Majesty's Men website, which we're affiliated with here with the Reformed Informants. His blog uh, there is called Vernacular, and so you can keep up with him there. Uh, but you don't just do those things. All the things that you just listed, that's not all you do. Of course, you're also a husband. You're also a dad. But you're also in pastoral ministry. Uh, sure. So that's kind of going to be where we take the this conversation is this relationship between the academy, the work that you're doing there, and also your work in the church. So, if you could, what do you do in ministry, and how do how do you view that relationship between the two? Are you primarily a scholar who also does ministry, or vice versa? Man, great question. I am a pastor theologian. I, I consider pastoral ministry to be the highest calling. Yeah. So when I make decisions about everything from how to structure my day to what gets priority yeah. uh, professionally, uh, it all comes back to my pastorate. You know, even with Luther Rice, uh, Luther Rice came to me actually two years ago and asked if I wanted to teach. And, um, you know, I, I put that decision in the elders hands at Haynes Creek and the elders were split two to two. I was the, I was, you know, I count as one. And so it was technically three, two, and I could have done it. Um, but I just, I couldn't do it, uh, by mm. conscience. Uh, I had two beloved brothers who were apt to teach, who fulfilled all the requirements of first Timothy three and Titus one, who God had appointed to shepherd our church, who were saying, um, your teaching load at this point is not compatible with your mm. shepherding of our church. And so then, so I didn't, I waited, a semester or a year. Um, but the, the point being that <clears throat> my, yeah. my priority, uh, was to the church. I consider myself to be a shepherd. Um, and so I pastor the church at Haynes Creek. We're a weird ecclesiological mess. Uh, we're, 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 we're about as autonomous if, if Jonathan Lehman or Mark Dever were here right now, I, I would be scolded. Um, but I, I, we're working on getting them on next week. So, <laughs> <laughs> By the way, okay, I'm going to say this and I'll tell the story real quick. Okay. Anyway, we're the church at Haynes Creek. And by virtue of our name, the church at Haynes Creek, you would think that we're an autonomous New Testament Baptist church, but we're not. We're actually a very, very independent minded uh, campus of First Baptist Church of Covington. Um, and so... Um, I have recently, uh, actually just this past Sunday, I announced that, uh, we are, uh, the God has called us, uh, to a another pastorate. Uh, the Todd's are moving to Marion, Illinois, where I'll be pastoring, uh, third Baptist church in Marion, Illinois. That's my wife's hometown. It's about two hours from my hometown. Um, 
And so that's that's where God is calling us. That the the, the multi site situation, there's just that's just too deep to get into. Um, but it was just best for the life of Haynes Creek. Haynes Creek is going to be its own church, uh, uh, its own autonomous church. Uh, it needs a, a church planner, and I'm just mm-hmm. not a church planner. Um, I have so much respect, man. When I meet, uh, there's a there's a church planner in Atlanta in Buckhead named Jason Dees. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I sit down with Jason in those church, in those Atlanta church planners, and I walk out of my meetings, and I'm like. I know nothing. Um, <laughs> I, I can't. I can't plant. Uh, and so th- those. It was a very humbling experience, and that's what Haynes Creek needs. And so they're they're going a new route. Uh, I, I just came to the to the elders um, in October and said I'm going to look elsewhere. Anyway, at the weekender, just want to say this story. I was sitting next. There's 40 pastors at the weekender listening to Mark Dever, and I just so happened to be sitting next to the other campus pastor. And we have to go around and, and when introduce yourself. And the guy before me, he's from Hoboken, New Jersey. I don't know why I remember that. You have to get up, say your name and where you're from. And the guy, he goes, oh, I'm so-and-so from Hoboken, Jersey. I'm a campus pastor. And Mark Dever goes, what, what was that? <laughs> and, and he was like, I, I'm a campus pastor. And he goes, where's that in the Bible? And I was like, oh. And everybody goes, oh. And, and so this, this guy gets scolded by Mark Dever. And then it's my turn. And so I went, I'm, I'm Abby Todd. Uh, I'm a pastor of the church of Haynes Creek and I'm from Covington. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you, so anyway, you, I'm, you I'm, passed an opportunity to get scolded by Mark Dever. I know. It's, I, he actually remembers everyone's name frequently, but by, by the time he's done, he he's has a little goal where he wants to remember everyone's name. So um, I didn't want him to remember me for the wrong reasons. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Um, that's good. Gosh, there's so many things that we could talk about whenever, when, when we get to, so you mentioned the atonement. We haven't gotten to the atonement. We're building a systematic. Our listeners know this. Uh, so when we get to the atonement, we may come back to, when we get to the, the church and talking about autonomy and local church, we may come back. We got a lot of things to discuss in what you just said. Oh yeah. Uh, so um, Lance, where do, where do we want to go talking about this episode? Um, we, we've been walking through Christology. We wanted to take a break to have this conversation about the academy and the church. Kind of, what, what, where do we want to take this conversation, Lance? Yeah, this is episode number forty-eight, the church and the academy. And I guess at least uh, to kind of get the ball rolling here with the uh, the meat of the episode, uh, we want to identify uh, biblically what the church is and uh, what what the academy is, at least uh, in terms of defining. Uh, those two, and then we're going to see how both of those are either harmonized, or we don't need the two, or what does that look like together in partnership and uh, in ministry. Um, so yeah, the ch- the church in particular and uh, the academy, um, the the linkage between those two. Um, well, let's start then. Let's talk about the church real quick. Um, how do we define the church? How do we define the academy? Kind of get get some some terms to start with. Abby, you want to you want to take a shot at that? Define the church. <laughs> um, the people of God, purchased by the blood of Christ and dwelled by the Spirit, who have placed their faith in Jesus for salvation and um, are the elect of God. Okay. That's that's uni- universal church. Okay. Fair. Yeah. Right? Is that is that... Would you, yeah. Okay, so... Would you just how would you distinguish that between that and the local church? Not without getting too deep into the weeds. Um, you know, if we're thinking through, that's who the church is, broad scale. But at the local level, how how would we distinguish? 
Um, well, ecclesiologically, we would say a local assembly of believers who have gathered together, placed their faith in Christ, been baptized upon putting their faith in Jesus, who hear the word preached, mm -hmm. submitted themselves under the authority of the church, and um, upon believing in Jesus and being baptized, partake of the Lord's Supper and um, and the community of believers. Gosh, Lance, Lance, no. critique, critique that. No, man, I, I don't. This is getting me hype for our ecclesiology series that we'll start up here in about two weeks or two years. Rather, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's twenty twenty two. Yeah, twenty 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 two. No, that's that's really helpful. Uh, that's really good, and I think you you. I, I wouldn't adjust anything that you said. I think that's really, um, it's important for us to understand what we mean when we say the church, right? It's the local yeah. gathering of believers yeah. um, who who gather together. Lance, we've had that conversation, right? About especially mid COVID uh, being together in one place uh, and how we, how we understand the church. But uh, now let, now let's talk real briefly then. What is the Academy um, church? I have biblical, that's a biblical term. That's a new Testament. Like I can look at the New Testament, reading my Bible, and I, I can see the church. What about the word academy? Where is that? Was that was it have to do with anything? Oh man, academy or Christian academy? Either you okay. explain. Okay, uh, I would say the academy has just broadly defined as institutions of education. Okay, uh, the academy itself, the idea going back to Greek history. Um, in Western history, if, if we if we would go back and take it to, um, you know, take it back to the patristic area, medieval area, I think the, the academy, as we understand it today, has its basis in Christian thought. I think the, the word universal, university, meaning universally under God, um, I think until the last two or three hundred years, uh, there was no concept of an academy that was not all under theology as the queen right. of the sciences. Mm -hmm. um, and so I would say that the academy is institutions of education and Christian academy is institutions of education designed to edify the ministry of the church. Okay. Uh, so I think you just answered my next question. Lance, I'm going to let you answer this first to give Abby a, se a second to think about this, <laughs> how he wants to go Get into hydrated this. over there yeah. in the meantime. So, so Abby, you already kind of hinted at this, but what relationship do these two institutions, for lack of a better term, have between the academy and the church? Who serves who? Uh, what's the what what role do these what relationship do these two uh, things have together? Yeah, I think on uh, this episode, at least from here on out, uh, I think we're going to try and argue and demonstrate that there is a connection, there's a linkage between the two, um, and, and I would start by at least discussing the idea of even in the scriptures, you have people consistently being taught. Um, you have people um, being instructed to learn and to memorize and to think deeply about the things of God uh, in, in no casual way. And I, I would argue that the academy almost does that to some degree on steroids, uh, I guess you could say. Abby, how would you, how would you nuance that answer? <clears throat> Uh, I, I, thinking deeply the things of God. I don't know. Is that how you just said it? Um, I love that. <laughs> Loving God with our minds. 
Yeah. Um, that's, that's what the Dean of Luther Rice told me at my interview. Um, when he took me out to lunch, he said, we're, we're going to try to, to help people love God with their minds. Uh, and I think that's something that we don't necessarily do, um, as well in the church today. And that's really kind of goes back to the point, the purpose of the Academy. The, the Academy is not supplanting the church and it's not replacing the church. It's the Academy if it's worth its salt, should always conduct its business with the knowledge that if it achieves its goal, churches can and will be doing what it what it does to some degree. Mm. Um, so, so for instance, a church that educates its people and 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 teaches theology that that that's the goal. The goal is that a church will equip and train and and, right. and um and so Baptist history I think that it kind of goes back, you know, this is a really pertinent to to us as a as a denomination because we as Baptists, man, we're just suspicious of anything that's not the church, man. Right. right. Get that get that extra church uh, extra biblical parachurch organization stuff right. out of here. I think the Southern Baptist Confe- uh sorry, uh, Baptist Faith and Message ch- Article Twelve says that says that education is coordinate with missions. I think. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not familiar with the language, but I, I trust you. Yeah. So Southern Baptist, uh, the Southern Baptists, you know, as a as a denomination, I think we treat seminaries, for instance, in the same vein as we do the IMB um, in some ways, broadly speaking, because mm-hmm. both are are instituted for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. Yeah, I think that <clears throat> I think you guys have said exactly what I would say. Um, I, th- I think maybe to let me see if I'm saying this correctly, if I'm summarizing you guys, that the academy thus serves the 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 work of the church right um like for instance abby you don't have any books behind you because i don't know what's wrong with you but lance and i have a huge stack of books behind us written by guys like abby guys who have gone before us guys who have served in the church right some commentary some historical work Uh, but those things are not written in order that they could sell books and make money and feed their families like yeah that's a that's part of it supposedly you know but but really, those things are written so that pastors can then shepherd their people to be under the authority of the word being preached and and that the people of God can worship. And so the academy then, it's a gift to the church to allow the people of God to benefit. Is that fair to say? That's it. Uh, serving the church, edifying the church, equipping the church, um, not replacing the church, yeah. but, but sending you know, like I remember when Russell Moore left um, Southern Seminary and his last um, his last chapel um, message, he said, I'm leaving. And he said, almost everyone but Dr. Moeller might leave. Uh, and, and I just remember that I was like, what? And hmm. he was like, and now, I mean. There aren't, I mean, Tom Schreiner's still there. Um, and, you know, but, but uh, so many people leave the seminaries and what are they doing? They're going and serving either other institutions or they're serving churches. Church, right. Uh, and so I think there is a sending nature to the, the academy, if you will. And of course, we had to make a distinction. It's not just the seminaries, uh, it's colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but to your point, I think that 
priority speaking, um, the church has um, preeminence over yeah. the academy because the church was here first. Uh, it's the the academy is not the bride of Christ. The church is. That's and right. So in some ways, I think theologically speaking, we could say that the seminary's job is to um, prepare and to beautify and to edify the bride mm. in in its in its expectant waiting for its groom. Gosh, that's that's well said, Lance. What, what what would you add? Anything before we jump to the next section? Yeah, well, I, I would just by way of example, I was I was on the phone with my buddy a couple weeks ago and. Uh, he was asking me how seminary was going. And of course I told him I was off of academic probation, which was always the, the first <laughs> order. Um, but he was asking about, you know, Greek and Hebrew courses. And basically he had, well, he was inquisitive about it because he wanted to know if I would be able to straighten out English translations of the Bible for him. In other words, he was under the assumption that our English translations contain errors or weren't accurate, I guess, in regards to, uh, you know, the original languages. So, Abby, I'd like to hear you discuss and talk about what we have on the episode guide here, uh, educational Gnosticism or, or the idea that just because you go to the academy, you now have secret knowledge that others that are sitting in the pews may not have or, um, you know, hear you speak on that would be great. Yeah. Um, Gnosticism. Hmm. I mean, let's just face it. We all know that guy who went to seminary and we, we make fun of him all the time. It's on Twitter all the time. The first year seminary student or yeah. the, or the recent seminary graduate. I used to be that guy. So he's <laughs> up. We were right? all him. Um, I think the you know you touched on languages. I think this is most pertinent when it comes to the languages. And let's face it, uh, you know, in in at least in evangelical history, the reason seminaries and in schools of theology and, and and really colleges were started was because of languages. Mm -hmm. uh, there really wasn't, you know, we today, um, you know, Herschel York. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go with, with my background. I don't know who it is. Hey, David, David Allen, maybe Southwestern. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, actually David Allen's written on the atonement. So yes, he has. Um, but, um, you know, nowadays it's like, are you the preaching guy? Are you the theology guy? I mean, back then, I mean, John Broadus knew Greek and knew mm -hmm. it well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, J James P Boyce knew Greek, knew it well. I mean, he didn't know it, you know, as well as, um, as Patrick Hughes Mel. That's right. I mean, I mean, really, who did? Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, not as not not as well as maybe an A.T. or Robertson or or what mm -hmm. have you. But um, you know, the, the the I to kind of bring it home to your question. This question is most pertinent when it comes to the languages because the languages, historically speaking, are part of the crux of theological education. Um, the best. Uh, advice I ever got, by the way, um, in the before I went to seminary, the best advice I ever got uh, was from a student who said, "Use every elective you can for a Greek or a Hebrew class," mm. uh, and I did that minus one, uh, and I'm so glad that I did. Uh, and I think that languages have the you have the kind of the the tendency to find and discover an entire new world. I mean, the languages open up the word in a whole new way. And, and, and if you don't have the spiritual maturity 
to, to temper this new knowledge with humility and love. I mean, you can go haywire. I mean, how many times have you ever been a part of a sermon and you listen to a guy who was just, I mean, taking Greek into places that was just like, when is this plane going to land? And so I I think that uh, to your point, I I had a seminary professor once tell tell me that knowing Greek well is like having really good underwear on. Um, (laughs) No one should see you wearing it. (laughs) Um, no one should see you flaunting it, but the people who are listening to you want to know that you're wearing, Uh, and so, uh, I think, uh, you know, from an from an academy point of view uh, with languages, uh, for instance, I think that it's, you know, we, we don't want to be flaunting our Greek, uh, but it should be there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in, in sometimes you want to exegete one word and you need to exegete one word. Um, and, and so I think there is always that danger of, of, of Gnosticism, but, but I think it's the seminary's job, for instance, to, to make sure they humble students. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen students humbled in class mm-hmm. and I, and, and they should have been. Um, and I've seen some students who weren't humbled and they, and they left with a lot of pride. Man, that's, that's a good thought. Um, you know, not, not everybody comes in on academic probation, right? <laughs> like not everybody comes in pre humbled. Um, <laughs> And so sometimes I'm get on my <laughs> theological underwear though. <laughs> yeah, but like no that's a, that's a good point because I think a lot of times and I was that student, man. Like I I came I remember reading uh a little exercise for young theologians. You guys familiar with this short little book uh Helmut Tillich, Tillich. I believe. Yeah. Okay. Uh he 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 argues in this book that he never lets first year seminary students into the pulpit. And I read that my first year of seminary and I was offended. Like I thought why would you not let me in the pulpit? I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I, oh, I was just so, I was so much hubris, right? And then as you grow and mature, uh, I needed some spiritual maturity, but it also needed some growth in knowledge because the more I grew in knowledge, the more I realized how little I know. And, uh, and so there came to be this point where, Lance, like you said, people just assume, oh, you've been to seminary, so you know every question, you know the answer to every question the Bible has. Like, no, I just I just now know more questions uh, about the Bible. Uh, and, and so, like, I, I do think that it's important that we understand that theological education, uh, formal theological education, the academy doesn't just solve all the problems. Uh, it doesn't just make us uniformly perfectly intelligent to, to adequately answer every single thing. Uh, what it does is just provide us with Puts a, it puts tools in the toolbox, right? Gives us a chance to be able to to go into a text and exegete, uh, to be able to wrestle with the language, to to have theological terminology, to have historical background, all of those types of things that are necessary uh, to adequately understand a text of scripture. Yeah, man, that's so good. That, that's exactly what I was wanting from you guys. <laughs> all right, um, let, me, let let me ask let me ask this question. What we, and we we just kind of touched on it. But what are the benefits of theological education? Just and and I'm sorry. Let me let me let me clarify of formal theological education. So, Abby, you have been you you've got three degrees from seminary, uh, you know, a couple of master's degrees and a PhD in theology. Um, I'm I'm on the road. Uh, Lance, you're working on an MDiv right now. Uh, we're at different stages in this process. We're all in the process of formal theological education. So what what benefits are there to doing that approach, uh, to taking the seminary route in 21st century America? That's a great question. That is the question that every student 
who wants to go and pursue formal theological education should have that answered before they go, mm-hmm. uh, or at least have the question posed. I had that question posed to me before I went to Southern. I went to a guy uh, who who served as kind of a theological mentor to me. Uh, he's the first one to tell me that, uh, that other than my dad, um, who said, you know, you need to be, you need to think about going to seminary. And I was like, seminary, I, I'm not Catholic. I'm Protestant, John. <laughs> and, uh, he was like, no, 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 no. Like uh, go and learn about yeah. the word and stuff. And I was like, oh really? Oh, that's a, yeah, that's right. That's a thing. Um, <clears throat> and he goes, and I said, well, what, wh- why would you go? He's like, well, you first need to, he said, I remember him posing this question. He was like, you need to, you need to answer, are you doing this? professionally? Do you want to be mm-hmm. a pastor? Or are you just doing this to better equip yourself as someone who wants to teach and serve inside of the church? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I chewed on that. I didn't, I don't re- think I really had an answer at that point. Um, but I, for me, I would think that one of the best reasons to pursue formal theological education is because with all of the material today, especially as Southern Baptists, I mean, go to another denomination and see just how peop- how little curriculum people have and how, how great Southern Baptist curriculum is, for instance. But, but wherever, any resource you can get, go to a Lifeway, go online, um, get whatever commentary you want. We're in America. All this information in the, in the marketplace is, is yours if you want it. There is, a, there is no shortage of what I would like to call theological bricks. And, and, and what I mean by that is there are people at my church, not many, maybe two, but there are two people at my church. I think, I'm pretty sure they know more Old Testament facts than I do. They just do. One of them's mm-hmm. an old lady. I'm not going to challenge her if she tells me that I'm wrong on <laughs> on on my on my chronology. Right. Uh, and the other guy's his name's his name's Willie. Uh, he was in prison. My, he was an elder. We have an elder that used to be in prison. And guess what he Praise did in God. prison the whole time? He read the Bible. Mm. Um, Willie used to be a drug dealer, and he, God changed his life. And the dude is just like a savant when it comes to Old Testament and New Testament facts. Um, and he'll come up to me after and be like, Hey, you, you might've gotten that, that, that year wrong. Uh, but here's the thing. They've got theological bricks. And just because you have bricks, you know, theology isn't like stacking up bricks onto a wall. And that's what I think a lot of people think formal theological education is. I want to, I want to be the guy with the most bricks and have the mm-hmm. biggest wall. And that's not it. Um, there are people in my church that have more bricks than I do but they don't have the mortar or the foundation underneath to mm. stack those bricks together and to make anything. Um, and so I think mm. formal theological education is one of those things where you're, you're not there to just simply add ideas and information and be the guy who can win Jeopardy. Right. Um, you're, you're going to, to a, a, a theological institution. You're going to the academy to build a foundation so that you can actually do something with the information that you have. Hmm. Um, and it's not just like the, you know, seminary, it's not like as if I went to Southern and Al Mohler just, just went ching, 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 <laughs> and just put all this facts in my head. Um, no, he gave me a worldview. He gave me a way of thinking and then he sent me out. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so I think that's one of the first things to keep in mind for formal theological education. It's not about adding facts. It's about building a theological foundation 
so that when you leave seminary, you're expected to keep learning, but you've been given the hardware to know what to do with, with the learning that you continue in. That's, that's really, I'd never heard that analogy. I really like that. That's, uh, I think that's really, that's really clear because there's a lot of, uh, there's a temptation to stack bricks. And I definitely went to seminary thinking that I was just going to like have a wheelbarrow full of bricks. You know, it's like, that's what I'm just, you know, you have more bricks than I do. I know you do. Well, I have more books behind me than you do. So, (laughs) um, but, but I do think that that's important to, to think about in terms of the value of theological education, especially for those in ministry. Um, right. So, uh, Lance, anything you want to add before I, I want to play devil's advocate first. No, anything keep you going. want to add? You're okay. Good. Keep going. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to come to you, Lance, because, um, and of course, Abby, I want your input on this as well, but Lance, I want to ask you this question because you just recently started your journey in formal theological education. Um, albeit on academic probation. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I was, it never, I, it never gets old, I man. Know, it know. never gets old. Um, but you just recently started that journey. But prior to beginning uh, this this MDiv program, which you're what a year in at this point, um, a year in. A year okay, in. so so you've 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 got a year in. But I would argue, just like Avi just said, like I think you have more bricks than I do. You spent ten years uh, teaching systematic theology to students as a as a high school teacher but then also serving in the church right like you're you're serving and ministering so you didn't have formal theological education and yet you still had a foundation you had some some of the mortar you had some of the you, you had a lot of bricks so I, I'm looking at your your example and perspective and then I'm thinking biblically like Paul didn't go to seminary Peter didn't you know Peter didn't have his PhD and these guys are serving the church so playing devil's advocate on the other side is it absolutely necessary to go the theological education route, the formal theological education route? Well, I think there's a connection that you guys have already made between the the church and the academy. You know, the the last 10 years that I've uh, spent teaching, or at least the last dozen or so as a believer and attending uh, Countryside Bible Church, um, the, the local church has equipped me Mm. Uh, to a degree where it, I mean, you could probably say from the pulpit and in our Sunday school classes and our men of the word Bible studies that we are getting the word of God, even from the angle and vantage point of the academy. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, I would say the local church that we've discussed and we've talked about in terms of the academy ultimately coming back there, it's for the equipping of the church and the saints and whatnot. Countryside Bible Church, where I've been for over a decade now, is doing that um so i would say is, even that's not normal by the way let me just say no. like if you're if you're a listener and you're going well where do i find one of those good luck right like that's just that's not normal that's not typical so yeah so i would say that i was getting you know some sort of a academic seminary training as a, just a member of my local church here in, in south lake texas so i had some sort of a jump start going into uh, you know, uh, TMS. Um, and I do not think that is the norm for most people across the States right now, getting that from the pulpit every week. Um, so, so in, in that regard, um, if that is the teaching that you're getting week in and week out, um, and seminary wasn't an option 
and, and, and seminary wasn't available to you, at least from our pulpit, you would be fine academically. Okay, let me... I want to I want to ask Avi that same question, but let me let me pick your brain one more time on this. From where you were for the past dozen years, sitting under the pulpit ministry of of Tom Pennington, uh, those the elders that had served, and I was at Countryside for a bit of time. That's how you and I met. I know the quality of of uh, of biblical content you were getting there. Um, but from that last twelve years to your past year at at the Master's Seminary, working working through. Um, your first year of MDiv, like, has ha, have you seen any difference between those two? Like, has yeah. has that year changed your understanding at all? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's uh, now a magnifying glass has been taken out, and it's now examining the languages, it's examining theology, and it's taking it to uh, another level. Not in terms of the Gnostic secret knowledge. But now we're, we're zoning in on particular nuances. We're looking at this little caveat over here. Um, so I guess you could say there's a little more expertise and the minutia um, of theology and of expository preaching and, and those particulars. That's good. Abby, how, how would you how would you respond to that? Kind of the, um, you know, the devil's advocate side about formal theological education. Is it, is it absolutely necessary? Is it, you know, you, you, you have a PhD. Is it, was that a waste of your time? (laughs) No, I, I loved, I loved my doctoral experience. Now there, that, that's a well that's way too deep to go down because I had a, I had a very unorthodox road. Um, I still haven't met anyone who went, I'm kind of like that salmon that went <laughs> up the stream. You know, I, I, I'm the only person I know that made the jump from Southern to New Orleans. Uh, a lot of people would say that would be stepping down. Um, so, you know, but, but I didn't, I didn't count it as, uh, you know, somehow not worth my time. Obviously I gave it four years of my time. I, I think that it was, it was much more than just something to hang on my wall. Um, I think that, you know, to your point, you know, that that classic Baptist, low church, anti-intellectualist argument. Yes. What about Paul? You know, yep. and, and we're going to talk about how Paul was, you know, trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He was hardly a, a simpleton. Um, <laughs> he was a, he was a very highly trained Pharisee. Uh, some would say that he had the equivalent of like two doctorates uh, for that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously there were fishermen, you know, mm-hmm. there were Peter. Uh, you know, what do we do with them? Well, I think that that doesn't negate formal theological education. I just think that, you know, who was Peter? He was a disciple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that all that should do for us, you know, the, the Peters and the Johns of the world or what, what have you, I, I think they should remind us that formal theological education should never be performed without some kind of discipleship in the church simultaneously. Um, that to me is, you know, we joke about young reformed and restless all the time. Mm -hmm. It's funny. And, and it's, the stereotypes are so close to the truth. that It's just great. Um, and all of us, I think are a part of that, uh, that movement, or at least us three. Um, but young reformed and restless is funny when it's guys who are a little quick tempered and have a really high view of God in a, mm-hmm. in a, in Armenian church. And we just can't tone down our, our, you know, our doctrine of sovereignty. 
Um, but it's not funny when it looks like a young kid who's not being discipled by anybody who goes mm-hmm. off to seminary and then he is just he's just basically sent off down the road without any form of uh, training or, or sanctification mm-hmm. or any really godly biblical means of spiritual growth. And then basically they're just sending or he's send, sending himself down the road and just adding um intellectualism. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think that's when it's, I I think the Bible should, doesn't negate formal theological education. I think it just renews that, that commitment that churches should, just as the academy is serving the church, churches should have a responsibility to Mm -hmm. send their young men and women. We won't go down that road, but they should to send their persons, um, with good faith and send them like they're sending Lance. That's man. That's, that's good. Um, Lance, any, any comments on that? Women can go to seminaries. I, I didn't mean. Yeah. Uh, we'll edit that out. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cut, 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 cut. Oh me. John yeah. Piper, yeah, I guess on, on that uh, uh to to that to that same point, not the women uh, point, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was th- this week I was reading a a biography on R. L. Dabney, and uh, he he was uh there, there there's a chapter that that talks about his uh, vantage point and his perspective, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, but he he was more concerned about an intellectual ascent and um intelligence and in terms of um there there was almost a disconnect in between training men for the church as opposed to just intellectually feeding their minds which isn't necessarily bad Mm -hmm. um but as you said that you know both the academy and the church are there maybe for one another it seems as if at least as far as i am in the bio here that, that that Dabney was more focused on uh, this intellectual aspect as opposed to connecting it directly to the ministry and church life and the local church. Old yeah. Dabney man, yeah. who's who are you reading? Is it just his? Um, is it his works? Or are you reading? Uh, is this no, Sean? I, I, can, I can't remember who who wrote the bio. Okay. By yeah. the way, Dabney, one of the sharpest critics of Edwards yeah. in the nineteenth century. Really. <laughs> Well, you know, he's Stone. Was he Stonewall Jackson's? Uh, yes, yes. Led a remarkable life. He actually, yep. in, I interact a lot with Dabney in my book on the Southern Baptist legacy of Jonathan Edwards. Um, fascinating figure. Uh, I, I would say that too. And, and to piggyback on that, um, I, I'm not going to make a remark on on Dabney. I, I think he's he little too Westminsterian for my taste. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, we all, I mean, the man, the Westminster, the Westminster is a pristine document. It's right. fantastic. Yes. Uh, he, let's just not treat it like it's, uh, you know, like it's God breathed. Um, Which was almost like you said what he did. Cause he basically said, if you need to amend the Westminster, you need to amend the Bible. <laughs> yeah. That's where I did. And, and he, and of course he hated Edwards because Edwards was, you know, yeah. The, Edward, the new Edward, age thinker. Yeah, Edwards catechized his children on Tuesday nights, I think, on the Westminster. Um, but Edwards was, you know, he he was a loose constructionist, if we might say. Um, but to your point about the the spiritual formation, that's why it's so important in formal theological ed- education in the academy. I mean, I can't tell you how much it meant 
to me, and this is a, this is a this, this is a danger for online education now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that's completely absent in the in online education, but it's something that I've had to deal with as an as an online instructor. It's it's imperative that I, I think I think good, meaningful, substantive, formal theological education is predicated not just simply on good instructors who know the word and can rightly divide it. I think it's also predicated on students being able to interact and engage and be exposed to the piety of their professors. Mm. Like it it meant the world to me. My wife got cancer while I was in seminary. Mm. Uh, And I still can tell you every single seminary professor who emailed me or stopped me in the middle of the hall and prayed with me and hugged me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that at that point, um, I, I think it's, it's like, oh my goodness, this person isn't just a, a man of the word. He's a man of God. Right. Um, so, so uh, kind of to piggyback on what Lance said, it, it's, it's, it's equipping young men for spiritual formation and, and, um, kind of, you know, what, what would, what Paul would say in, in Colossians one presenting mature men. Right. Uh, I think that that that's definitely the goal. If we if we if we lose out on that, I think formal theological education can be, can be a really ugly thing. I, I'm glad you guys have have come to that. Like the conversation has has gone there because that's one of the things that I think oftentimes gets miss. There's a there's a misconception about formal theological education. I had it. I thought I was going to go and somebody was I was going to somebody's going to back up the dump truck and here comes all the knowledge and I was going to get that. But but really it's the it's more of the spirit and I wanted it, man. Like I wanted that knowledge. Uh and I still want that knowledge, but not for I want it for different reasons now. As we've talked about in this podcast, theology is worship and I I want to know who God is so that I can worship more fully. And so um, I want to know the word, but it's more about that spirit of Second Timothy two too, right? Like that we're gonna take this good deposit and 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 trust it in faithful men who can go and teach others also. And that's what that's what good formal theological theological education is. Is it's hey, this is the next generation of pastors who are gonna go out into the church and shepherd the flocks of of the people of God and are going to take sound doctrine and the teaching of the gospel and to shepherd them and to minister to them when their wife does get cancer, when, uh, when they, when they're facing all the, the, the chaos of 2020 and COVID-19 and riots in the streets and all that stuff. Like, how are we going to shepherd these people? Well, the formal theological education is just to be able to rightly divide the word of truth, right? Second Timothy two fifteen, so that we can, then turn around and shepherd those people. And so that's that's really the aim. And that's why I think it's it goes both ways. The church needs to be there to disciple these young uh, students who are getting this education. But then the point of the education is to turn around and go and serve at the local church level. I'll, I'll, add, to, I'll add something to that. When I came down to Louisiana, I came down from... Maybe like, you know, like Moses coming down from the mountain and my face was shining with the light of, of, of Molar City, you know, like people, you know, so I had these young reformed kids, you know, if most people in Southern Louisiana are Armenians, um, you know, you got Roman Catholicism, hardcore meets Baptist, you know, and most people just aren't down with reformed theology. Well, then here comes Mr. Calvinist and I've got like the scarlet letter S on my chest when I walk into New Orleans. And like, you know, it's Southern, you know, it's like, 
oh, I think so-and-so is not reformed. <laughs> you know, then I came to New Orleans and the, and the Calvinists were like, you know, they could like smell me and they, they come up to me and they talk to me like we were a part of the Rebel Alliance. They'd go, are you reformed? <laughs> drawing drawing secret symbols in the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, there was this siege mentality in southern louisiana and i didn't understand why i mean it's it's everywhere in some ways for reform but it was really heavy in southern louisiana and it was a lot of it but it was because of the seminary mm. um young reform men had built up this strong burden this kind of uh this chip on their shoulders because they'd all been raised in armenian churches uh, there was this heavy distrust with the formal theological education at New Orleans Seminary. They all kind of like, you know, it was, they didn't know who in the world was at the seminary, but they could tell you who R.C. Sproul was. They could tell you who, right. uh, who Chandler was, you know, all these guys. And they were the definition of young reformed and restless. Uh, they were restless, you know, mm-hmm. and they had no churches. Uh, and I, there were guys who would live within 20 miles of the seminary and they're like, I ain't going to the seminary. Mm. Um, and so when I got there, it was like, Hey dude, Hey, let's go. Uh, uh, y'all, you going to T4G this year? You know, it was like, all they want to talk about was, was, was Calvinism and it was good, but they were desperate, mm. you know, and, and what, and I, what I had to spend my first year showing them was, I'm not going to come on from on high from Southern Seminary and like just like anoint some church as like the Calvinist church. That's what they wanted. Right. What was going to happen was we were we were going to do life together and we were going and I was going to disciple them in the churches that they were at and discipleship was what was lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just wanted to add that little anecdote because it reminded me. And of course, we're right there. All the kids are like half of them are LSU students. Right. Um, and they were starving for a for an older man to come in and love them enough to spend time with them and to talk about their life and to inject theology into their everyday issues. Uh, and I think that's what that that you know to kind of piggyback on what uh, you know what TJ said. It, it's about using that theology to then shepherd the people. Um, and I really think that's going to go a long way. I, I don't think we have even really begun to understand just how starved uh the younger generation of evangelicals are for 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 legitimate theology i man i think that's a good i think that's a good point and and really i think that's gonna i want to take that and kind of segue into the kind of the final phase of this conversation and that is thinking through this we've we've kind of talked about this a little bit more from from a little bit from our perspective right like like from the ministerial side and Thinking through what what is the value of education, but but now let's probation put ourselves, side, right? post post probation, man, you're you're out of that. Um, so now I w- I want to ask this question just from the standpoint of, of of a person of an individual who's a churchgoer and they are faithful members at a local church, or perhaps are considering maybe they just moved to a place. Uh, how do they how do they understand and think through? What is the what what level of education is necessary for their pastor? So maybe maybe not everybody is at uh, Third Baptist Church in Marion, Illinois, with a with a PhD as a pastor, uh, right? Like not everybody has that. Um, what level of education should we expect? Do we have an expectation for pastors? How do we 
if, I, if I'm choosing a church, does that matter? Um, let's talk through some of those those questions, maybe from from a layperson's perspective. Do you guys, when you guys like prior to being in ministry, when you looked at a church, did you pay attention to the academic credentials of the pastor? If you were going to go, you know, when you maybe when you were in school, did you go look for a place that had a, a pastor that had a, a certain level of academic education? Well, when I was in University of Kentucky, <laughs> I mean, you and I both know that that just wasn't a question I would be asking. Right. Uh, Me neither. We'll, and we'll leave it at that. Um, but I think that in seminary in Louisville, uh, I became a part of a church, and I think I was asking more questions about – I think I was trying to get the gist of – what they believed. And I think that that was kind of implied just because it was the Southern bubble. Um, but I, I think it's important. Um, I mean, let's not a lot of people, we don't often talk about this. Maybe we do. I just don't know. Uh, <laughs> we don't often talk about this, but you can tell a lot by where somebody went to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Southern Baptist convention, if, it, if Baptists know how to do one thing, it's separate and create factions. <laughs> Um, and you know, every seminary has got, got its little culture. I yeah. mean, think about it now. They're all kind of, you know, there's a movement going on. And I think that's undeniable. I mean, look at even New Orleans, Jamie do now. I, I don't know. Jamie do, I think would identify as broadly reformed. I don't think, I don't know if he would identify as a Calvinist. That's a very subtle distinction to make that he might make. Um, and I'm not sure that Adam Greenway is a Calvinist. Um, I'm not sure either, actually. I think there's a reason for that. I think he's yeah. just kind to Calvinists in a way that Paige Patterson wasn't. Okay, we're going to delete that one. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think the point being, though, there's a culture to every seminary, good or bad. People coming out of Southern try to be Al Mohler. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that's not a good thing because there's only one Al Mohler. I mean, how many people have you ever gotten, you listen to and you're like, dude, that, that guy has listened to way too many Piper sermons. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Know, it's it. We take on, I think a seminary and its graduates take on the personality and the interests and the direction of its leaders. Uh, we as Southern Baptists, I think we kind of imagine ourselves as individualists, and we are, but man, we love us some some celebrities, don't we? Sure. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. we think about all the camps that we have. I mean, it's just, we have the Beth Moore camp. I mean, Southern Baptists have the MacArthur camp. We, we, we have the Moeller camp. You know, for years we had the Paige Patterson camp. You know, it, it just, we have little, and so I think to your, to your question, TJ, I think it, um, I, I would have no problem going to a church where a guy went to Southwestern. Uh, in the eighties. Um, and I know some very godly men who love Paige Patterson. Uh, it's not a, I mean, I'm sorry, maybe I need to get off the Paige Patterson thing, but I hear what you're saying. My point is I got nothing against Paige Patterson. Obviously there's some things that, you know, he had to be, that he had to reckon with. My point though, is that when I'm asking questions about where to go to a church, um, I would assume that the, you know, that two guys could go to two different seminaries and still know what justification is. Mm -hmm. Uh, My interest when it comes to where they're from and where they're educated is 
where do their interests lie? Um, you know, when they say practical ministry, if I had a dime for every time I went to some country pre- preacher and he was like, I, I, you know, I don't know about all that theology stuff, man, but I'm, I'm, I'm about practical everyday ministry. I'm like, okay, I know what you're thinking. Right. Um, now, if I go up to another guy and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I just want to shepherd the flock in everyday ministry. I'm like, okay, that guy means something different. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think there's, I, I'm looking when it comes, when somebody, where someone's trained, I think that there, we have to understand that people don't just leave seminary with facts and with theology, they also leave with a with an ethos, um, and that ethos kind of can carry with someone for mm-hmm. the rest of their ministry and their life. That's no, that's that's a good observation, Lance. Um, what, what would you say? Does does that matter? Does that play into? So you now you've been at Countryside for a long time. Uh, did you go there because Pennington had his, his MDiv from Masters? Uh, because you came from MacArthur's church, like what, like what, what does that stuff, how does that play into the choice? Yeah, of the church? It, it, I mean, it was that association that ultimately got me to countryside. And I remember someone from countryside told my brother and then my brother told me that MacArthur was speaking at countryside next month. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa what's going on here? Whoa, whoa, what? Oh, and, wow. you know, so then that next weekend I went to countryside and Pennington was, working through the book of Ephesians, he was in chapter six and I never went anywhere else after that sermon. I mean, it was exactly, you know, what, what, what I was looking for and things that I had seen or read or, you know, watched on YouTube or, you know, that I had read about in, in books, whatnot, in terms of reformed theology and expository preaching. But immediately, you know, when I sat in that pew and heard that type of preaching, um, I knew that's exactly where I needed to be. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with Abi when he's talking about, you know, there is a culture that, you know, that comes with the seminary and you sometimes will see people bring that culture into the pulpit. Uh, but, but I'm concerned um, is whether or not they're preaching the word of God. Quick story, my buddy Wally, um, TJ, you and I were talking about him before we started recording this episode. He doesn't have any formal uh, theological training. However, He's been a faithful youth pastor and associate pastor at this little Methodist church in Justin, a reform guy, and he consistently rightly divides the word of truth. So I would say generally speaking, you know, pastors have that theological training, but there are some that are, you know, outside uh, of that particular circle that are being faithful day in and day out, week in and week out. Um, And and Wally would be one of those guys. Yeah, and I I think that's a good reminder lance we were kind of talking about this a little bit before um i'll be you'll appreciate this <clears throat> mel the guy i'm studying he uh, he didn't he didn't get he didn't get formal theological education he went to amherst for a year and a half uh and then bailed and just self-educated uh read a bunch of stuff himself and he became one of the most prominent uh, and uh, significant um southern baptist pastors and leaders uh in the 19th century in the south uh very significant uh very very effective minister, very effective preacher, um, by all accounts, uh, but no, no extended formal theological education. The other side is true as well. I have sat under men who have all kinds of letters after their name who can't preach their way out of a brown paper sack, right? Like they just, like, just because you have all the education in the world doesn't mean you're, you can rightly divide the word, doesn't mean that you can shepherd the flock, um, doesn't mean that, 
uh, your philosophy of ministry is as biblical as we would like for it to be, right? So you can have guys that have great education, that even have all the great accolades academically, or could or could be, you guys know this, they're guys who are tremendous authors, tremendous writers, uh, tremendous academic scholars who just struggle in pastoral ministry because that's not their calling. Uh, so, so I would say just generally speaking, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I tend to pay attention to where guys are from. I tend to pay attention for exactly what you mentioned, Abby. Uh, I tend to pay attention to what level of education they have, because I think that tells me a little bit about something, but I don't let that be the defined, like I don't make up my mind based on the paper, right. Based on what the website says. I, w- I want to see them in ministry. I want to see how they love their people. I want to see how they preach. Yeah. Are, are they expository preachers uh, that expose the meaning of the text week in and week out? That's kind of what we're looking for uh, when we think about the church. And so um, all that to say, theological education is tremendously helpful, but it's not defining when it comes to pastoral ministry. Um, well, Furman is the same story. He has no formal theological Didn't education. Know that. Isaac Backus. I mean, it's just that is just Baptist, man. Right, I mean, right. You know, Isaac Backus, you know, he even had a little bit of suspicion about Baptist associations. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we could go on and on about mission societies, Sunday school, you know. I mean, (laughs) Baptist, if it ain't the church, Baptists are like, I don't know. Um, Formal theological education is is no different. Uh, And looking for a pastor, I'm with you. I, I think degrees do matter. Uh, and that's really cool, Lance, about your your, your reformed Methodist friend. Um, <laughs> that's like a man. That's that's like a unicorn that you found. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if he exists. I'm going to take your word for it. Um, well, I, would, I guess I would say he's reformed at a Methodist church. You know. Okay. Gotcha. You know, yeah. Well, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, I, I met, some the other day I met um, Reformed Armenianism is making a resurgence. Yeah. Uh, I've met several in the last several months. It's really weird. Yeah, it's a bizarre uh, world. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're like, dude, I'm not down with John Wesley, but Jacob Arminius, though. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. We're just retreating everything now. Yes, we are. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I think degrees matter. Uh, I think preaching the word matters. Uh, pastorally matters. A friend of mine uh, had a chance. I won't give his name, but my a friend of mine had a chance um, to work under a a name that's very highly revered in evangelicalism. Someone that I think is a fantastic preacher, and uh, he didn't want to take the job. He met the guy, hung out a little bit, and said, "There's no way I'd, I would ever work under that guy." Um, and it really kind of had me wrestle because I love these both of these guys. Mm-hmm. When I heard, I was like, "You took you you turned down that job? Why did you turn that?" Of course, you know he he also kind of just wanted to preach a humble church. You know, mm. you know he was a, he was just a kind of rural Louisiana pastor. Um, but he had a job. He had a chance, and, and basically his thing was the dude is a fantastic preacher of the word, uh, but he's not a very good guy. Mm. Uh, I would piggyback. It's got to be the word first. If they yeah. can't preach, then they can't. They have no shepherd's crook. Um, mm-hmm. If they can't preach, that then then what? If they have, if they don't have the sword of the spirit, they have nothing. That's right. Um, but after that, uh, there is much to be said about how they wield that shepherd's crook. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sorry, I had a little in, in, in shepherd's crook. I think there is a podcast, Jerry, right. <laughs> on Majesty's Men. Go That's see right. it now. Okay, sorry. That's right. Shameless plug, man. Um, but, 
yeah, I would just piggyback on uh, pastorally. That's why I like uh, formal theological education. Uh, the fact that some seminaries, not all, but I think there is a an expectation, if not a rule, at some seminaries that that a uh, a professor must be a pastor of some kind at his church. Mm. Uh, I like that. Mm. Uh, I do. That's how I think that's the best way. If I had, if Abby Todd had to come up with his own seminary one day, uh, God forbid that would ever happen. But if <laughs> I had to, that would be a rule that I would institute is, okay, uh, you're going to teach pastors. Are you pastoring? Um, and of course, yeah. and we all know that in seminary towns where there's a high degree of intellectualism and there are some, there's some really good ecclesiology going on, sometimes they can create you know, positions for, for professors, like, you know, mm-hmm. weird ones, like, you know, associate pastor of expository preaching every third Sunday or something <laughs> like that. You know, um, you know, there are, there are uh, positions like that, but I, I, I just wanted to kind of interject that point because I, I really do think that a teacher of the word and a theology professor or whatever, a text critic, uh, I think it goes a long way to know that the man that you're sitting under in the classroom, um, is pastoring a, a a congregation. Yeah, that's yeah, good. That's good. Yeah. Well, as we uh, bring every episode to a close, Abby, we have what's called the Reformed Informants Initiative, and basically, it's a little thirty-second takeaway uh, that, that we want to give our listeners from this episode: something practical, one thing they can take away, you know, one one thought, one thing they can implement in their own life. Basically, an application to. Uh, this episode. So we, we normally go around and, and, and we'll give an initiative. I'll start us and I'll be quick. There's hope for those who are on academic probation. You can get off of academic <laughs> probation. You really can. They, they will let you off of it if your GPA is high enough. And I've been academic probation free now for about eight months and I'm, I'm living a high life right Never now. Never going back, are you? Never going back. Oh, man. That's that's so good, man. I, I I love to rib you about that, but in all seriousness, that is a, a really cool story. Uh, just about where you where you were in your life then, and what God's done with you, and what you're what He's redeemed that into now. That's so cool. Good. Um, yeah, my my initiative, kind of my takeaway, the thing that that I kind of co- keep coming back to is just the gift that the academy is to the church. Uh, each and every week, I prepare to preach a sermon walking verse by verse through Philippians. And I'm so thankful for the men who serve the church through the Academy uh, because they, they, man, they, they've done incredible work for us as pastors. And I'm thankful for the Academy, but the Academy is no substitute for the church. And so just having that right perspective and that right balance, that right understanding is, is so, so good. So important. Um, uh, What do you got, man? What, 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 what can you, what can we take away? Um, I think that, my experience in seminary should encourage everyone because I didn't, when I went to Southern Seminary is the first time, when I went to Southern Seminary to visit for the first time is when I found out that it stood for Southern Baptist Seminary. (laughs) Um, And I went, oh, oh, these are Baptists. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and, And I lived two hours away. Right. Um, and I remember writing down words in class. I remember writing down the word eschatology and I thought, I, and I, I'm not, this is not a joke. This is not a punchline. I thought it had something to do with escalators. I don't know why. <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't have any Greek. 
Lance. I didn't have a dream, so how would I have known that? Uh, And I remember writing down Kevin DeYoung and Mark Dever in the same... I I wrote... I had two pads of paper. I didn't even have a computer. (laughs) And I I had one for my class notes, and then I had one for terminology, and that book was filled and 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 that's and I just wanted to say that because I empathize with people that think when they hear the word theology and they hear the word seminary they think of high-minded intellectualists mm. that use big words and that lose people and mm. that was me mm. uh, I had to learn the language while I was learning the theology mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't even know what ecclesiology was I remember I was in Greg Allison's systematic three class. And I wrote down the word Christology because I thought it had, and I was I was spelling it C R Y. Thought it had to do with crystal. Um, and we laugh, but I was the opposite of Lance. I had no theolo- yeah. theological training at all. Um, and so I, 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 you know, people go, you know, people sometimes go, well, you know, Avi, you know you know, he, he, he writes this or whatever, you know, he went to here. I didn't have a clue. I had mm-hmm. to start from the beginning and that's what theology, or that's what formal theological education should be. Uh, I was afraid I wasn't going to get accepted to Southern seminary. Hmm. Uh, I went to the university of Kentucky and I got out with like a two point. Hey, six. hey, easy. No, dude, don't, get, <laughs> don't get on my level. Don't get on my level. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so I wanted to say that. And, and then the other thing I wanted to say is, um, it's not about, it's, it, it's not about, you know, I, 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 I consider the MDiv, I have four degrees now. I mean, my MDiv was the hardest degree I ever worked for. Mm. Um, MDiv was twice as hard as the PhD to me. Wow. Um, it was harder than the THM. It was certainly harder than, than my bachelor's, uh, university of Kentucky was hard because I was a, a basically a failed pre-dental student. <laughs> Um, we could, I thought that was the case, but I didn't ask. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, that's its own story. Um, but, but I, I thought MDiv was so hard and I, and I, just a word for people that think, well, I'm, you know, I'm not smart enough to get a PhD. I didn't think I was smart enough to get out of the MDiv. Mm. Uh, and then after that, I built my foundation, Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to learn even more. So that, that's my just encouraging word to people who are considering formal theological education, think it's not for them or are scared. Um, I had no idea who Southern was. I had no idea who Al Mohler was. I didn't care who Al Mohler was. I just went because it was two hours down the road. Right, right. Um, <laughs> and uh, and God showed me grace. So I, mm. I just wanted to, to, if we can, to try to wipe away the Gnosticism, wipe away the, the high-minded air of you know, yeah. the guild, uh, and and get back to what formal theological education should be, and and I owe it to people like Michael Haken and Tom Nettles and Greg Allison who mm. spent the time to teach me very basic things. Mm. Gosh, man, I could do this all day long. Uh, I, whenever I stayed at your house a couple of years ago, we would stay up till two in the morning, we and fun. just we were zombies for an entire week. But um, <laughs> it was it was good, and and man, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. We uh, we would love to have you back sometime. It's been uh, it's yeah, been man. a real pleasure. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. If you're not doing so already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and to our YouTube channel. Be sure to like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants. And as always, you can find access to all of our episodes, links to all of our social media platforms, as well as our new shop, 
all on our website at www.themagistiesmen.com slash reformed informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.